don't quite know what we're doing here this morning, except we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Um, every now and then, we take time like this morning uh, to try to get back to ground zero about why we do what we do, uh, why it's important for your leadership team uh, to be involved in something like this, why we personally need uh, the Fellowship of Brothers, and what our vision for this part of the beloved community is. Um, and this is a beloved community to me and to so many of you who have found uh, life around the table with your brothers. Um, I'm so thankful for the young brothers that are here this morning, Alistair in the back, who's uh, uh, a repeat new dad, uh, has a two-year-old and two twins born September 12th. Uh, just moved here from New York, B.J. Weber, who is a mutual friend of ours, said, hey, you got to take care of Alistair and Tara. I'm not sure I'm taking care of anything, but welcome this morning, and it's been a pleasure. Uh, I had the... Um, the Alistair and I did together. We flew to New York for B.J. Weber's funeral. B.J. was the, one of the founders of the New Canaan Society in New Canaan, Connecticut. He had a, a lifetime of just reaching out and befriending everyone, especially men. He's the guy who taught me what I know, uh, so much of what I know about uh, having dinner with men, asking a simple question, letting the Holy Spirit take it somewhere. Uh, he, for years, uh, said, you've got to start a New Canaan Society chapter in, in Franklin. I told him I didn't want to do it, uh, and he wouldn't quit, and I told him I didn't want to do it again, and then I finally said, I'll do it, but not by myself. And some of you know this story. We came, uh, another brother of mine and I came to uh, visit Andy Marshall to ask for permission to use this room uh, for something connected to a men's breakfast, men's, I'm careful with that word ministry because it gets tossed around so many ways in different ways, but we wanted to do something for men that was life-giving, and he started to cry. We're sitting right in the back. He starts to cry. I go, I don't even know this guy. This guy's like, like showing us his tears. I go, Andy, what's going on? And he said, I was sitting on the beach last week asking God how I can use my business locations for something in the kingdom, and he just He's just weeping. And I said, well, uh, here we are. And, um, and that was 12 years ago. And this is the result of all kinds of influences coming together. B.J. Weber's influence, uh, God doing some things in my own life, um, especially things like being really tired of being in shallow Christian relationships, um, tired of not having conversations with other men that went deeper than the weather and work and sports. Um, and just deciding I wasn't going to live my life that way anymore and um, stumbled into a lunch with Larry Stone one day. And Larry, come on up here. Um, stumbled into a lunch one day with Larry Stone, and he's telling me some of the sorrows of his heart, and I'm telling him some of the sorrows of my heart. And um, in, in the course of it, we said, why don't we, ha we've known each other for 20 years. How come we haven't known these things about each other? And, and, and he said, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. And I said, well, look, I'm not willing to live my life that way anymore. He said, what do you want to do about it? Larry is a do, what do you want to do about it kind of guy. And I said, and some of you have heard this story, but I said, we could either do what Churchill did, have a, a bourbon and cigar night on Friday nights and invite some guys and see if anybody wants to come. Or we could do some dinners. And, and 15 years ago, we started having dinners together with some of our friends. And some of David Watson, Byron Williamson, some of the other guys 
have been able to participate in some of those dinners. And we want to we want to show you as much as we can, as B.J. Weber showed us, how to do some things in your own neighborhood, uh, what it means for you to create a, a, a beloved community around your own life, around your own home, around your own kitchen table. Uh, before I forget, and we're going we're gonna to take about two or three minutes each for the leadership team to come and tell you why this community matters to us. Um, I, I, in, in this whole process of trying to um, figure out how not to live in a shallow world and how not to be a shallow guy, I spent five years writing a little book. And it, and it took me that long because I was working full time and because I wanted to make sure that to the best of my ability there were no lies in the book. Uh, it's been published in German, Portuguese, Brazil, Latin America, and I think t all that t total has only sold about 20,000 copies, so it's not a bestseller. There are free copies on the table because the publisher sent me too many, but I'd like you to take your own free copy this morning. Larry, come on, talk to us. Yeah, when you when you publish a book, after a while it stops selling, and then the publisher's got to figure out what to do with them. Pardon? That's right. I published a. Uh, this has nothing to do with anything. I published a novel once with some guy, and after it was published, um, it was only out a, a week or two, and he said he was really convicted over something he said, and so he said, "I'll pay." for you to take all those and get rid of them. Well, at the time, we were trying to fill in our backyard. And so I had the people from Nelson deliver you know, 4,000 copies of this book. And still, up on Overlook Drive near Vanderbilt, there's 4,000 copies of this book in a backyard somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I'm an independent kind of guy. Uh, I grew up with my father doing stuff, everything around the house. And so I don't need other people, I thought. And then I had lunch with Wes and got involved in a dinner and got involved in NCS and found that I need community. I need other brothers around me. And that's what NCS has done for me. And once you start beginning to realize something, you see it everywhere. One time we had a Volvo, and I didn't know there were any other Volvos on the street until I bought one, and then I began seeing Volvos everywhere. Well, similarly, once I realized I needed community, I found it everywhere. And what I mean by that is, for instance, when I edited the Africa Study Bible, one of the contributors said, I must admit that I was, uh, he, one of the contributors said, Africa's values of strong interpersonal and communal bonds and concern for others are diminishing with individualism brought by urbanization and secular influence of the West. The African church must be aware of the modern tendency towards self-centered lifestyles and disregard for one's neighbors. The church today must itself be a close-knit, welcoming community where hospitality and care giving are experienced. And here, I was brought up thinking rugged individualism was a good thing. But just maybe, the African sense of community is more biblical. Then two weeks ago, I heard a, um, a podcast. A guy was talking about how Amish negotiate with mod mod modernity. 
Now, 150, today when we think of Amish, we think of these strange people who are, <laughs> who are a little old-fashioned. But 150 years ago, they weren't that different. 150 years ago, everybody plowed the field with horses. 150 years ago, everybody would get in their buggies to go into town. And as each thing came along, this guy said, the Amish, as a community, had to make a decision as to whether to do it or not. In 1910 or so, the telephone came in. And each Amish community, and there's a whole bunch of them, so each one made their own decision, should we have telephones? Well, if you have a telephone in the living room, it's going to interrupt the community of the family. And so many Amish communities put them in the barn. They made a decision, and the decision was made on the basis of what's good, not just for me, but for the community. And then just yesterday, I was reading an article. So the Amish also need community. Africans need community. And just the other day, I was reading an article by a, a reporter who went and visited Ukraine. And what he found, he said, was an amazing optimism among Ukrainians. Almost every Ukrainian I met shared it. We will win. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is he also said, by killing Ukrainians, regardless of their region or language or politics, and there's in every country some divisions, by doing that, Russia is helping forge Ukraine into something it has never been, a national community. We are brought together as a community and that's what NCS has done for me. It's made me aware that I need brothers in my life. I need community. Amen, brother. Paul and Denny, come, both of you, both of you together. Um, we, we need to be careful with our, with our time here, but um, we have so many things that we want to share. So let's just go together. And well, uh, he was talking about that community that needs to grow over time. But sometimes if you allow the Holy Spirit to work, uh, it doesn't have to take a long time. The, the very first time I came to one of these, I sat right over there and sat with two guys I didn't know. And as we're talking, one of the guys had so much in common with me This, like, the other guy said, were you guys, like, separated at birth? This is amazing, all the different things. Well, then the speaker came up, and the guy I had been talking to that had so much in common was sitting in front of me, so I was looking at the back of his head. By halfway through, I see him bend over. He's praying. So I immediately started praying for him. I said, Lord, I don't know what's going on in his life, but you do, and help him through whatever this is. The meeting got over with, and I said, I, I couldn't help but notice you were praying. Is there anything I can help you with? He goes, I was praying for you. As I'd showed him a few things that needed some prayer. We talked for a good half an hour about here in the parking lot afterwards, and he'd been through a rough thing. His marriage had fallen apart, and they were rebuilding it. And he was, he was back home again, but it was Christmas time. He didn't have any money for presents and stuff. So I told him when I was seven years old, my parents separated, and it didn't look good. But they did get back together. And I said, that Christmas, we were all there under the tree, and it didn't matter what was under the tree. We were all there together. I said, dude, you are the present this year. You're back home. You're the present. Everything else is gravy. So both of us were weeping by the time we got through with this conversation. Did we become lifelong friends? No, we, we bump into each other once in a while. But in that moment, God brought us together, and it gave me the impetus to say, i got to keep going back to this breakfast. Hmm. There's something special going on. 
Well, when uh, Wes kind of sent out this email to have us share something, I, my, my mind went not to NCS, but back to uh, days I moved from Fresno, uh, or Music City, as you know it there, uh, to, um, I moved to LA. Uh, I was working down in LA uh, uh, quite a bit, and so it seemed to make more sense rather than commuting from Fresno to move there, and I moved into a, a pretty big church uh, and then just shortly after being there, uh, uh, I, I was invited into this fellowship group of guys. And they were all people in the entertainment business, and uh, all, uh, most of whom had careers far larger than mine was, certainly at that time especially. And, uh, but, but that was iron sharpening iron. We formed this brec breakfast group. We met every week. And it was just life sharing life. And so... Uh, the benefits of, of guys being with guys, I, I, you know, I, some, and some of those guys I'm, I'm still connected with. A couple of them actually live here in Nashville now as well. Uh, but they're, they're now the, the friends that knew you when. And there's nothing like friends that knew you when. Guys that, that went through seasons with you, it forever bonds you. And that's happening, you know, here and uh, in, in another era for me and I think for, for many of you. So, uh, one, just uh, count your blessings you know, uh, that you're here. This is an amazing thing. Most people on earth couldn't fathom this opportunity, let alone experience it. And so uh, let's make the most of it. And then let's make sure we're spilling out. It, it just takes, uh, it affects the way we live, the way we see others, to see that fresh opportunity to bond and to, to pass along the goodness that, that God is bringing here. So I'm, I'm grateful to be, uh, you know, just that God grafted me in here, just kind of Stumbled in one day. I don't even know how I heard about it, but uh, very grateful to be here and be be a part uh, of this uh, this team with you, brothers. And Ron Henry, who is um, a relative newcomer to Nashville, sort of what seven years, six, five. It's actually five years this month. Uh, here you go, Ron Henry. Uh, pleasure. Thank you, Wes. It's it, it, my life, my journey. I got saved later in life, uh, in my my forty early forties, uh, and I was living in California. That's where I met my wife and raised our family. But the essence of somehow community to me has shaped me, and I had the pleasure, well, for seven years to meet with six other, no, three other, four other brothers for seven years, two hours every week. We just met together in fellowship. And it helped shape my life and realized they knew more about me than my wife. And I just was greatly impacted by that. And then I was part of another organization in Orange County, which is similar to this group, uh, a little bit more robust, but it became my family. So, and so five, over five years ago, uh, through my wife and directly, God said, you're, you're moving to Nashville. And my wife and I, and my wife goes, I'm excited about this. And I said, well, God hasn't talked to me about this yet. And uh, so we went about it, but it's quite a story. And so when I first arrived, the only thing at heart, I said, where is the community? Where are, the, uh, where are people gathering? Because I know God is pulling people together. And we arrived here as nobodies. We didn't know anybody. No one knew us. Starting life afresh. We left our grandkids behind. But I did have a contact with one gentleman, Les, Les Stopas, who's here this morning. And I always call him, if you don't know Les, then you probably don't live here because he knows everybody. And he said, you've got to come to this breakfast thing. And I walked in here and I just felt, I don't know, it's like I look forward to coming here. It's just a, being around like-minded men 
who are trying to figure out life, and uh, and it's just be, you're not alone. We're not alone, and so many people here. Like how many people here have uh, relocated this area in the last five years? Raise your hands. How many people? I mean, look at that. It's about ten names, and you think. You might say, well, why did God move me here? But you came here, you, you, didn't, you didn't really become part of the community right away. But the best way for me was to engage in this. And I've had such a fantastic, just so blessed because an opportunity to invite others. You know, if you're sort of new to the area, you meet other people who are new to the area, and they go, hey, have you ever heard of this, you know, this breakfast? And, and uh, so I get the great privilege of writing, inviting many, many people here who have met relationships Similar to the stories that were shared here. You know, even you know, when you meet somebody the first time, you may not be good buddies, but the connection point, it's such a God thing. So, and more than anything else, many of the people that have been showing here are young men. Young men who are really trying to, you know, young families, have a small business, trying to get started. And they come here and they have just been thrilled by just meeting people who have been had a little bit more well, they have gray hair or no hair, but they have a little bit more to offer about life. So to me, it's, it's, it's family. And is family a priority? It is for me. So I'm just really blessed to be part of it and just to be an encouragement to you all. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Uh, there, are, there are two brothers in the room this morning. I'd like them to come up. Uh, John Chisholm and Mike Best. Um, they didn't know they were going to talk this morning, and we could get Ricky on the sound guy. He, he could come up here and share his heart. He's a tender-hearted guy back there. Give, give Ricky a, a, a round of applause for all of his volunteer work to come and help us every time we're together. Uh, Mike, come here, and, and John. Um, John is uh, the, the president of the National Christian Songwriters Association. We were having a conversation recently, and he said, uh, Wes, I feel like God is rekindling some things in my heart, and I've asked him to talk about that this morning. And Mike, um, oh my gosh, this, guy's, this guy is one of the most gentle, quiet, counselor, perceptive people, and he's got a few things to share this morning. Brothers? Can I make an appointment? Yes. Can I make an appointment with you? That'd be great. Thanks, Wes. Good morning, everybody. At 58 years old, my life fell completely apart. After 35 years in the Christian music business as a songwriter and a publisher, I've worked with a couple of major companies and made records and traveled all, all over the world and encouraged people in worship, taught worship uh, more than anything, and had the privilege of working with some of the big-name people in, in that industry and served simultaneously in the local church pretty much full-time through all that, and at 58, it all just kind of came off the rails and uh, got aged out, you know, the modern church doesn't tend to want, you know, uh, older sexy guys like me, and uh, I think I'm still kind of rocking it, but, you know, they didn't think so much, so I found myself, uh, we were in another state, the only direction we had was just to come home to Nashville, and uh, we were quickly going broke and getting fat, and I just fell into this deep apathy and uh, just a really deep circumstantial depression and didn't know what I was going to do and tried out for a couple of churches and they should not have hired me and they didn't, so <laughs> that didn't work out. Just didn't know what I was going to do and I felt abandoned by God. I was just giving up on myself and it was, it was I mean, I've had some dark times, but it was a dark, dark time. And I was walking around my neighborhood. 
out in Brenniok, if you know where that is, and uh, was just walking around, and I couldn't pray, didn't want to read the Word, and didn't want to ever go into another church again. And I was all I could do was quote Jesus when he said, I and my Father are one. And that was the only little thread of hope, and I was just, I, I can't even describe the depths of darkness, and I, I would just cry, walk around my my neighborhood, and um, and one day I was walking. I could take it to the exact square in the sidewalk, and it it wasn't an audible voice. It was louder than that. And whether it was the spirit or my own mind or or gas, I don't know what it was. But I heard it louder than life. You're not even being a good human right now. And it was kind of a divine rebuke for me. And I. It started me kind of back on the journey, and I've been through a deep deconstruction of, of my own evangelical faith at this point, and God's been putting a whole lot of things back together. Uh, wound up meeting with a business coach every week uh, for at 1 o'clock every Tuesday. We'd meet, and uh, I would sit across the table and cry, and he would be like, well, you got to do something. You're just going broke and all that. And we would come up with something cool for me to do, and by the time I drove home 20 minutes, I didn't want to do it. And one day he just reamed me out for not sharing the publishing and songwriting knowledge that I have. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to find something to do. Maybe I'll do a little retreat or something. And I found Nashville Christian Songwriters, are you ready, dot com for $13.99. And that was seven years ago. And through the crucible of entrepreneurialism, I have rebuilt my life uh, with God's help, of course, and now our company has a global reach. We reach hundreds of thousands of aspiring songwriters. We have a podcast that Wes and uh, William Paul Young of the Shack fame were on recently, and uh, we've had 160 episodes. We've had about 155,000 downloads. It's a great show called Song Revolution with John Chisholm, and we have coaching programs and all this depth of material that would have never happened had God not kicked me out of the nest. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are, if you're feeling sorry for yourself, stop it. It doesn't really help. And just, you know, get, get engaged again. So what, what uh, Wes is referring to is just my own depth of worship and love is kind of coming back in some ways. I've been, you know, kind of head down, running hard uh, over these years, but I'm finding that I spend a whole lot of time depending on other people to lead me in worship, and I was kind of doing that for people, but we've got to lead ourselves. We've got to lead ourselves. I think, was it was it uh, Luther who said, I am baptized, just reminding himself every day, you know, uh, to not forget about that love. So I hope that's encouraging. Wes, thank you for a few moments. If I can put in one plug, October 16, I'm I'm going to sing again. I've been writing some songs and recording, and we're doing an evening with John Chisholm and friends at the Franklin Theater, trying to get Wes to, to pony up and buy a ticket and come. But uh, it's all to benefit children's literacy, and uh, you can find uh, a lot of information or talk to me afterwards. So love to have you come. Thank you. I met Wes in 2009, got his book, Bond of Brothers. Grab one. Um, I read it, and I couldn't not do anything. I had to do something. Yeah. Such, he said, men need to tell their stories. Yeah. 
that's true. You know when you hear somebody go, that's truth. Okay. These men need to tell their stories. So I go, okay, so what can I do? Um, I called about six guys. I go, hey, I'm going to start this men's group at my house every Monday night at 6. It's called the 3F group. Food, fun, and friends. Those six guys came over. I cooked them some things, usually something on the grill. Cook them a burger. We'd sit around, answer a question or two, and then just talk. Well, it was splendid. It was wonderful. And it was simple. It was very simple for me to do. I go, okay, this is reproducible. It's good. Okay, that, that was a good, good thing for me. As another benefit as a result of the book was Wes said, you've got to tell your stories. Well, I started to capture them in words and just would send them to my children. And the kids hadn't heard a lot of the stories of different things that happened throughout my lifespan. So I started sending stories to the kids. Like, this, this is me and mom dating in 1977 in Austin, Texas. This is what it was like. They'd never heard those stories. So my stories are captured in words, started a group. Um, and I think one of the most profound things that I've learned through all this is the simplicity of things. Um, several years ago, about four years ago, we started a marriage group that meets in our house, and we dedicate ourselves to four couples. Four couples. One of them moved away. Now we've got three couples. Four minus one is three. It's pretty simple. Uh, but we've been meeting with these couples every other week for all these years. Well, we really know each other. But our format is simple. We get together. We eat. And we share. We just talk and catch up with everybody for about an hour from 7 to 8. Then about 8, there's usually a question. We teach a very brief amount whatever the, the subject is that we're, that's on our heart. And then we ask a question. And I have learned so much from those people. Um, but um, a couple of years ago, I, I had a really severe bout of depression. I was hospitalized, but it was serious. So during that time, our life group met through Skype or one of those video things, every single night they prayed for me from 7 till 8. And they took turns fasting every day till I was better. And when I came home and couldn't do anything, they mowed my yard. They took care of us. They loved us, but, um, okay, well, through all that, I just want you to hear it's simple to reach out and dedicate yourself to a handful of people, and on one hand, we have this idea that I've got to impact millions of people. I have to write a book. I have to write a song. I have to, we have these I have tos. I think for most of us, it's really that small circle of influence Three couples, six men, something like that. I think that influence is more profound and more important and more life-changing than anything. Because people need to be heard. 
people need to be heard. I'm going I'm to give you one quote, and I'm going to sit down. So the marriage group tonight, I was working on questions. Um, we're going to do questions tonight. Um, I'm reading books. I, I love questions. But this is a quote uh, from the book, Ask Powerful Questions by, I um, can't remember who it's by. But the book is called Ask Powerful Questions, one of the best books that I've read last year. But this is a quote out of that. Nothing shapes our lives so much as the questions we ask, refuse to ask, or never dream of asking. Our minds, bodies, feelings, and relationships are literally informed by our questions. So as, as Wes is doing his men's group, as I was doing my Food Fun Friends group, as we're doing our marriage group, it's really questions that are important. And it's when you ask people questions and listen carefully to their answers, that's when people get to be heard. And that is what changes lives, people being heard. Because really, where, where are you heard? Who listens to you? So... There you go. Blessings. Have a great week. Mike, Mike, thank you very much. You're a tender-hearted brother, and I love you. Um, when, when Alistair and I left um, St. George's Auditorium at BJ's, uh, after BJ's funeral, it felt as though we had all been sprinkled with salt. It felt as though we were being given something to take into the world. You know, salt, salt left in a cluster in a container isn't real good. I mean, you can, you can about kill yourself with too much salt in the wrong place. Salt spread across the culture. Salt spread the way it's supposed to be spread can be phenomenal. Um, and Jesus calls us to, to create the beloved community around us, not just to be isolated and alone in our own spaces. And, he helps us. Um, one of the reasons I'm involved with uh, guys like Larry and Byron and David, all these other guys um, in a dinner group, is I can't deal with my own aloneness by myself. I, I can't do it. I can't. I, I, I am not going to be the kind of father and husband um, that I'm supposed to be without good friends who are men who can help me understand my own life. Uh, help process it, help to see myself with clarity um, and, 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 and take me out of my blindness uh, and out of my um, tendency to despair and bring the playfulness of a Denny Brownlee and a Paul Aldridge. Uh, B.J. Weber all the time would say, look, if, you, if you're not playful in your life, you're not even a man yet. I mean, you, gotta, you can't lose your playfulness. You can't lose your sense of humor. You gotta pay, play tricks on your grandchildren. You gotta you know, teach them the mischief that they haven't thought of yet or something. You've gotta do something. Um, so I want to be alive and awake and I want to be around men that can help me to have my own humanity, my broken humanity restored in Jesus this is what he's given us to do to be to be the kind of guys for each other i don't care just you know just look at everybody you meet on the street with fresh eyes today see them as made in the image of god 
and don't discount that it means, don't, don't think it means nothing. We, we have so underplayed what it means to be made in the image of God that we just go, oh, yeah, they're made in the image of God, but we're going to shoot them or, or we're going to argue with them about politics or we're going to do this. No, they're made in the image of God, and this really matters because they have been given inside of them the receptacle for spiritual life, and perhaps you're the person that is meant to give to them, be the life giver because of Jesus. You're the guy that can fill that emptiness in their life with the good news about Jesus. Our injuries come through relationships. Our healing comes through relationships. And, and I'm just thankful to be a part of a group of guys like this. Um, there's so much more that we could say, um, but 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10 say that you are a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. You who were not a people are now the people of the living God. Why? That you might declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Salt and light, brothers, in the name of Jesus. Amen.